You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands podcast brought to you by Odyssey Sports 94 WIP. Make sure you download that Odyssey app if you have not yet. You can get all the episodes first if you have the Odyssey app. I am Elliot Shore Parks with Kyle Newbeck. And Kyle, I think it's only right that we start the pod. Do you want to take a minute or two and apologize to Zach Levine for besmirching his good name last week? And then he went and did what he did to the Sixers last night. So I won't. The floor, won't. The floor is yours. I'm gonna I'm gonna step back. You know, there is a, no apology necessary. No, no coming. Okay. Because <laughs> certainly it's not like I didn't think Zach Levine was capable of having a good right. game. And I will say, I said this to somebody on uh Twitter who actually brought this up last night, tweeted at me about it. Yeah. That I do think that part of the appeal with Zach Levine or why people are like more into him than I am is that the aesthetics are so good. So mm-hmm. like his shot just looks so pure when he's in, you know, a good rhythm. He's like on fire like he was last night and it makes it feel like even better than the game actually was like, yeah, that was a, a 41 point game that probably felt like a, a 50 point game or a 55 point game. So I I think Zach, because he has such a good looking shot and, you know, he beats guys so cleanly off the dribble, all that kind of stuff that makes it feel even better. So I I get why people like him, but he's still not my uh, (laughs) my favorite guy. He uh, he definitely looks the part like the size, the dunking, the shooting, the attacking. He's a a very good player. Um, Obviously, last night was not an anomaly, I guess, but clearly he's not going to hit that many threes. Every night, it was definitely one of those games where you almost just have to chalk it up and go, all right, Zach Levine's got it. And Maxi was okay. Um, I want to get into his shooting definitely a little bit more. But yeah, it just felt like one of those games where there was nothing they were going to do. The Bulls shot, did they end up over 60% from three? I know they were for for most of the game. I don't know what the final numbers were, but even if they weren't, they shot the hell out of the ball. Like it was, you know, one of those. Now they did get wide open shots. You know, I I didn't think they were hitting a ton of contested ones. but yeah, Zach Levine was unbelievable. Uh, the shooting was unreal. The Sixers shooting, 
uh, at least from three, wasn't terrible. I mean, if you don't include James Harden, who had an abysmal night uh, shooting the ball. But, uh, well, I guess just, you know, just to start off, uh, as we normally do, what are your uh, what are your takeaways from that that loss? Well, so I, I think, you know, Levine got some clean looks as he's building ahead of steam in that game. But I thought the bigger problem, as opposed to Zach killing them as a scorer, is that once they made the switch, and this is at some point in the third quarter, to try to double him and trap him and get the ball out of his hands. I thought they did a terrible job at it. Like mm-hmm. number one, the guys who were the two people trapping him are not getting in close enough and he's either splitting it or he's able to throw like a bullet pass to somebody. And then the guys who are away from the ball who are supposed to be defending the other guys on the floor are just sort of like head in the clouds, not really paying as much attention as they need to and making it easy for him to find guys out of these traps. And so they're going from, you know, you trap a guy, you're supposed to be up in his chest, like, oh, man, it's really difficult for him to dribble or pass the ball. They were not doing that. And then they're getting – it's like one, two passes away and one or two easy passes. They're getting a wide-open look from three. And so trapping works if you are all on a string together and, you know, you're getting it into somebody else's hands that's not as dangerous – but if you're forcing it into a guy's hands who's getting a wide open shot, yeah, like not, not good. even if it's somebody like Patrick Williams, who I don't think is having a, a great year this year, a lot of Bulls fans have been disappointed in him. If you give him wide open shot after wide open shot, I don't I don't know what you expect to happen. So I don't think they did a good job of defending outside of you know what Levine did to them. And that I think was a big part of why Chicago shot the lights out last night. Yeah, so I read your article from last night um, on phillyvoice.com. Always a great read after the game. And you talked about their struggles with small ball. Um, So I I have two kind of questions, and we can get into whichever one you you want first. First is just the small ball defensive issues that you you noted in the the game. But also, it seems like uh, most pods we do, if it's after a game, one of our concerns, but but more so yours, because you're you're better breaking down the defensive stuff. Um, since I don't even care about that side of the ball, but but you <laughs> you, uh, you certainly note that it seems like you have a lot of issues sometimes with their defensive both effort, but also maybe like I don't know if scheme is the right word if that's a football term, but just how they how they're playing defense. But their defensive numbers, if I'm not mistaken, are are not terrible. It's not like they're near the bottom of the league. So I guess my question for you would be. What are you seeing with the defense that you see that maybe you saw last night, but also core issues that you you see keep coming up? So I would say I don't have a lot of problems with the core of the team. Well, especially when Joel is healthy, right. because he like he's right. essentially the guy that uh, the defense is designed around. Like the, every decision they're going to make there is how do we best leverage Joel's talent there? And that's right. the right thing to do because he's their best player. And their most impactful defensive guy. My dog's barking in the other room. I don't know if he's upset about. <laughs> he's got uh, some uh, defensive takes. Watching PJ Tucker. Um, <laughs> I think the problem with small ball specifically is that just that PJ looks like crap. Like now, yeah. Like he is not really giving them much as a switch defender, which is why you'd play a, a smaller lineup. And he's certainly not giving you rim protection. So. They had all kinds of rebounding issues last night. And this wasn't just PJ. This is also with uh, Trez in the game. I thought Trez was good on offense again, but you see why people are upset with him. Like he's just getting blasted on the glass by Mm -hmm. uh, Nick Vucevic or Andre Drummond. And so they were 
you know, there are a lot of possessions where guys are just standing around hoping a rebound's going to come to them instead of actively going and attacking the ball. And I thought Chicago preyed on that. So that's a problem. Like we discussed the other night that Melton making the small ball lineup work, a lot of that comes down to doing the little things and like going out of his way to make plays. He was in foul trouble a lot of last night. And and then on offense too, like your favorite side of the ball, obviously. The, the only side of the ball, yeah. <laughs> the other problem with Tucker is that, and Doc talked about this some last night, because they weren't getting stops, they're not able to run and get PJ in a spot where like he's just in the corner and spacing the floor. Instead, they're having to walk the ball down and PJ's got to be a screener. And he's not a roll threat. Like you're not throwing him the ball like Trez or Joel coming off a screen for James and scoring the ball. Like he put up some floaters that normally that's like a decent shot for him. But right now feels like he's making like one out of every six or seven of those attempts. And yeah, it takes like a month and a half to get those six or seven attempts because he's not seriously doing much anything. So their defense fed into the offense. And that was why, you know, three minutes into the second half last night, Doc abandoned playing small ball. He takes Maxi out and put Trez in the game. And so, you know, it just that lineup was not working last night, but not because of the guards. Like, I think the guards were fine. It was a problem with uh, the front court guys. Man, I hate watching PJ Tucker play basketball. Like, it, watching him. It's play, rough lately. It, it's rough. It, it really, and I, I'm, I've made this comparison before, and I'm not comparing apples to apples here, but I feel the same way watching PJ, PJ that I did watching Ben. Just a complete dislike for his game. Like his little baby floater he does in the lane. It feels <laughs> like every time he shoots, it's the ugliest shot I've seen slash doesn't go in. I hate that when he does a little something on the defensive side or he sets a screen, everybody's like, oh, this is why you sign him. Just to me, I'm I'm not enjoying watching him play basketball, which is a shame because I actually think the rest of the team is playing really well. And you mentioned the guards last night. Even though they lost the game, I actually left the game feeling very encouraged by what I saw. Um, I mean, first of all, because Levine would just went crazy. So I think it's easy to kind of chalk it up. You don't have Embiid. You're still competitive. I think in a lot of ways, the, the game is a win. But I thought the way that uh, Melton Mac, and Maxi shot the ball, I can't remember the last time you think about the process stuff and drafting Ben early and Fultz early and all these things. They haven't had two guards, the last time I can remember, that can shoot the ball like this, where they shoot it and I feel like it's going in every time in a really long time. I mean, can you think of the last time they had two guards that both shot the ball this well? I mean, they're both over 40%. They're both shooting six-plus attempts a game. They legitimately have two guards that can really shoot the ball from deep. Well, and theoretically, James can shoot too, although he decided last night that was an optional uh, yeah. part of the we game is making well. shots. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think honestly, if we're saying what's the one big and good takeaway for the Sixers in that game, it's that Maxi finally looks like himself again. Mm-hmm. He got a shot to go down early. And that, you know, sometimes that's all it takes. You make one shot, first couple minutes of the game, you get into a rhythm, you, you know, you get that off your back a little bit because he yeah. has struggled. And I think the the one of the big problems is that he has let early misses feed into how he plays. Like there's been a lot of shots he just steps out of, or he's stopping short of getting to the rim and taking floaters and runners. I think he did a better job of avoiding that on Friday night. So, mm-hmm. you know, if Maxi is now, you know, closer to the guy, as we discussed last pod, that he was in the beginning of the season and he's a reliable shooter 
He's, you know, taking guys off the dribble. And then on top of that, he was a good playmaker for other players last night. He had a, a nice skip pass for an assist uh, that was reminiscent of some stuff we saw early in the season. That's not necessarily like an every night thing for him, mm-hmm. but if that becomes more consistent and he becomes a better leader of these second unit lineups. That's great. So could you combine that with Melton who, again, the foul trouble limited him last night, but he's at least offering floor spacing and some disruption on defense when he is in the game. You know, I, it's a really promising combination, especially if James Harden looks like he knows how to play basketball <laughs> on the same night as these guys. Yeah, like, he really. I don't want to go really. too hard on James. Obviously, he's had a, a good stretch recently. But it well, was why good. do you think he struggled last night? Because his shot wasn't going in. Is it that simple? Or do you think it's something the Bulls did? I, I mean, I think I don't think it's anything the Bulls did. I think he's been playing a billion minutes. And, yeah. you know, a guy in his mid-30s who's had recent health issues, there are just going to be some nights where – he looks a thousand years old and it's not going to be able to get by guys. And I, somebody on, at the, I was talking to uh, Rich Hoffman on press row last yeah. night. And he was saying he, he's looks like Jamie Moyer at the end of his career <laughs> right now. Like it was just a junk ball. Tired. There's no, there's no fastball being thrown. Yeah. It's all change ups and sliders and curves. And yeah, I, I think that was an apt comparison. Like I, I just, I don't think he had it last night. Now he still ended up last five minutes in the game. I think he hit a couple threes, and yep, you know, we still had something for them at the end of the game. But he had a really nice pass just, to Harold too, if I'm not mistaken. Really nice, yeah. Like yeah. he's talented enough that he's still going to put together some highlight plays, even on a bad night. But I just thought, mm-hmm. you know, not a night where he had it, and it was very obvious from the start of the game and. Unless they got like a one performances from Maxi and somebody else, and I thought Tobias Harris was maybe like a B B minus. Yeah, he wasn't probably great. their probably their best player other than him. I I just don't think you have a chance to win a game without Joel if that's the case. Well, uh, so I think one thing that definitely stood out was when they don't have Joel, they don't have a bucket that they can just go to. For as much as centers annoy me, there's no doubt that if you look at and not just again, Levine was unreal last night i'm not saying you're you, you're always going to get that from a wing player but when they don't have Embiid, like maxi can make threes melton can make threes and harden wasn't good last night but they don't have somebody they can give it to and say okay we're kind of we're slowing down here the offense is struggling the bulls are going on a run give you we're going to give you the ball and you're going to go get a bucket now Embiid is that person for them but i think it really stands out how we can debate obviously Embiid's a great player and Harden has been really good, but I don't think Harden yet qualifies as a consistent bucket that you can count on when you need it. And Maxi, I don't think e- is either, or Melton. They're both really good shooters, and Harden, when he plays well, it can kind of be that a little. But when you what you saw last night was when the Bulls went on that run, they had nobody that could step in and say, all right, let's calm things down. I'm going to score here and get things going again. Right. It's very comforting to just say, all right, we can just throw Joel the ball and he's right. probably going to score here. And or I probably take like, it for granted a little because when he's not there, it really stands out how much they have nobody that can do do their own thing. Yeah, and you don't notice it as much, obviously, when they're rolling or you know the other team isn't playing as well. You don't think about it too much because James still is very, very good. Like he's yeah. at this point, he's a really good number two on most nights. But you know, when he's the head of the snake and he can't get his step back jumper to fall. 
he's not getting by guys as much and he's not finishing at the rim as well as he used to. And so, you know, that leads to these nights where you can't get a jumper to go down. You're pretty screwed. And like, he had some, like, I, again, I don't want to pile on him. This is not uh, you clearly want to. So just, but just like he, even man. his, even his misses just, they felt like they were like two misses at once. They were, yeah. some of these were just like ugly, ugly shots where I don't mm-hmm. know if he's trying to draw fouls or he just, you know, it's late in the clock and he's trying to get up whatever shot he can. But some of these were like, he's throwing it off the top of the backboard. It's like yeah. flying off the rim. Just a, an uncharacteristically bad game for him. I think somebody, I saw someone joke. It was like, no, this is elimination game Harden <laughs> in an early January it, well, game. But but that is kind of as good as I feel about the team now compared to where I did a month ago. And I actually, again, left the game feeling good because Melton looked good uh, shooting the ball again. Maxi was really good shooting the ball, and those are positives. My biggest concern still is you said Harden is a very good number two, and I don't even disagree with that. He's played really well. But if you look at other teams in the East, um, you know, the the Nets, who, again, I'm not believing in, but at least their number two is Kyrie in the way where, okay, you know you can throw it to him and he can get a bucket. And Kyrie is maybe an extreme example. But my biggest concern is still, as good as everything looks, it seems like whenever they have to rely on Harden, whether it's in the playoffs last year, whether it's last night, right? It feels like whenever they have to rely on him, he just is very hit or miss. I'm not saying there haven't been games where he's played well without Joel, because there, there have been, but it just still feels like for as good as everything looks, if your concern is if they don't have Joel or Joel is hurt or he's not playing well, do they have that guy they can lean on? Harden kind of consistently shows maybe he's he's not that guy. So I do think there are probably fewer teams that have that luxury than you would think. Like, even if we were to say Boston, for example, I think Jalen Brown is awesome. But if you watch the finals last year, he basically couldn't dribble for half of that series. I couldn't get by guys. And like, that was a big problem. Milwaukee, I think is a good example where like Chris Middleton, when he's healthy is probably that guy, but he's also, he can swing wildly. Right. And he's effectiveness and he's hurt. And we know the problems there. Brooklyn. Yes. Both of us would say that like, that's, that's the high end version of what you want. But I do think it's like, it is tougher, especially like if you design an offense around this guy is the guy and Joel's the guy, it's hard to just be like, all right, well now we need number two guy. It's like the middle of a tough game. Now it's what they're paid a lot of money to do. And I agree. Like you didn't bring James Harden in to be like, well, you know, sometimes he can score and sometimes you might have a big game. But I do think it's probably rarer than we might give it credit for. Or like we could just keep going down the list. For Miami, Jimmy's the guy in the playoffs. And then who's it? Tyler Hero is number right. two. Like he's he's hot and cold. Or like I guess it would have been Kyle Lowry if uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't a corpse at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, Cleveland, Cleveland's probably the closest with Donovan Mitchell and, and Garland. I would yeah. think that they, they are probably the closest, like two guards or, or a legit one, two, where you can go to either one. And I'm going to sound like you here and saying, I also don't want to pile on Harden because he has been good recently. He really has yeah. been. But it just, uh, if you're talking big picture concerns here, and your point on the pod was a good one last time, maybe don't worry about the playoffs yet because they are months away. It just, it just always sucks to see where they're 
where I feel so good about the team, and I do, but then Harden comes out, and it's like, eh, I wish I would have seen a little bit more from him. But to your point, maybe it's not fair to expect a number two to be able just to turn it on like that. Yeah, it's just not going to happen every night. Even the Cleveland example, Darius Garland struggled when they were in the uh, the playing game last year. It's the reason they yeah. didn't make the playoffs. He got you know locked. Well, I shouldn't say locked up, but he didn't play as well. And then they targeted him on the other end, and you know that was their season. So mm-hmm. I think most teams do not have like a two number ones situation like the Nets do. It's why people, in spite of all their other issues, still have some fear of Brooklyn in a yeah. playoff series. Um, and you know, if James every few games can give them like a step up, bigger scoring performance, I think that's going to be enough from him because it you know. This team is only going to go as far as Joel takes them. Like we can say, yeah, they've performed nice without him in the regular season. They've won some shorthanded games, whatever. We know with absolute certainty, if he is not healthy and productive in the playoffs, they're cooked. Like they just, they don't have a chance. And so, you know, it'd be nice to get some more wins. And I don't, I think Chicago is a winnable game without Joel. Like, I don't think they're good enough to say like, oh yeah, the Sixers didn't have a chance, but like, this is kind of what happens when you don't have your best player. Yeah. And to be fair, I mean, they scored 112 points. It's just Levine was unbelievable. Um, So I looked this up this morning and I want to get your thoughts on it and just kind of moving into maybe the next topic. Um, So Melton's shooting it great. Maxie's shooting it great. Harden's been really good. Niang is shooting it uh, great this year. So I looked up, and do you want to guess, Kyle, how many players in the how many teams in the entire league have three players that are shooting forty percent or more on five plus attempts from deep? Four. Do you want me just to tell you? Or is that your final guess? That's my final guess. Final guess. Just tell me. It's it's two. It's only. Okay. Well, it's three, I guess, actually, if you include the Sixers. So I messed up that dramatic pause. But it's three It's three if you include the Sixers. No teams in the West. The only other teams in the East that do it are the Knicks, who we all agree, like, it doesn't really matter. They're not going to do anything. And the Cavs have it with Mitchell, Garland, and Love. But I think it's interesting that going in, the one major difference between this team, and we talked about it after the McCollum game and then coming off the, the Zach Levine game last night, I still don't think the Sixers have that guy that can do what Levine did last night or do what McCollum did against them a, a few games ago. But if you look at it, the Sixers do actually have some of the best shooting like role players, if you want to call them that, yeah. in the league. Because Melton, 40% on six and uh, 6.2 attempts. Maxi 42%, which I was surprised with because it feels like he hasn't shot the ball as well this year, especially maybe it was just the last few games. But 42% on 6.4 attempts. If you look at Harden, since returning from the injury, he's almost 40%, 38% on eight attempts. And Niang is 42% on 5.7. So they have a lot of shooters that are shooting threes at a high volume that are making a lot of them. And I think that's a major difference between this team and other years. Because if you look at the year they went into the Hawks series, obviously Ben and Maxi, and they had Seth, but Ben and Ben and Maxi is their, their main kind of guards clearly couldn't shoot the ball and, and Curry could, but they couldn't last year. Harden was kind of washed. And, you know, we all saw what happened heading into the playoffs. He didn't play great, but it's been a while since they've headed. They've had this kind of rotation with shooters uh, at, at that kind of qu- quality and quantity. Well, to your point about not having a Levine type guy who can go out and do this. I, I think as much as we're like skeptical of the 
your center is your best offensive player in the center of your offense, all that. That is sort of the way this has been set up. This is a product of how they're playing around Joel, right? Like he gets doubled and they've become very good out of that like swing, swing type pass where you hit a guy in the corner or on the wing or wherever it is. They find the open guy and that guy's getting a quality look most of the time. And they're shooting well on those. They finally have, and this is just as important as the fact that they're shooting well. They're just willing shooters. They're getting a lot of shots up. The guys are, you know, releasing quick. Like Tobias Harris, one of the biggest problems with him in in years past is that Tobias was just like not getting shots up. And that was a big problem. Like he's stepping into long twos instead of you're open in the corner, ball came to you, it's time to let it fly. Like that was a big problem. They had a lot of record scratch moments on offense. And there aren't as many of those. And I, I think that's one of the reasons I've been such a big proponent of this you know, three guard or multi-guard lineup and, you know, having two of those guys on the floor at all times is because even if they aren't taking immediate threes, those guys are capable of close outcomes. They're going right by. They're just mm-hmm. they're dribbling by people and they can exploit you knowing that they're good shooters as well. Like you can turn it into, you know, what we think of when we think of a playoff team, which is, you might not get this shot, but you can create another one by going to the rim. You force them to go into rotations, and then it's the same process over again. You're just you're hunting for shots. It's you know you think of, I think the Spurs were probably the best team at this at their peak, where and the Warriors are probably the best team at it now. Where yeah. they will find the guy and they will they will move around and move the ball until there is an opening. And I think the Sixers have started to look more like a team that can do that. Some of that is because of Joel in the middle of the floor. Some of that is James being a good playmaker in the pick and roll, but it's, you know, it's all the ecosystem is really good. I think, you know, obviously it's not uh it's not high level all the time. Their offense is not as good as I think it should be mm-hmm. for like for the entire season. But I think we're at least seeing moments and flashes that say, all right, this team is going to be ready to go when uh, the playoffs start. Well, and to your point, so Tobias is 38% on a little over five attempts. So they they damn near have five people, five players that are 40% on over five attempts. I mean, they're really close to it. But I think your point is an excellent one, that not only can these guys shoot, Maxi, if you close in on him, obviously he can blow by you. Melton can do it. Harden, you know, his burst is a constant level of debate here, but I think he can at least do it if you, if you really close out hard on him. Niang can't, but Toby can. So... This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
you do start to see a picture of how in the playoffs this could be much different, especially with Joel at the center. And I think this also comes back to then Joel has to be smart with the ball because if you're going to run the offense through him and surround him with shooters, then his, his decision-making has to be great and he can't be sloppy with the ball. But if he can be better with that, yeah, you see the, the makings of a team that in the playoffs, even if Maxi doesn't have it, Melton has it going. If Harden doesn't have it going, you know, Tobias maybe is having his night. There's just so many more options than there used to be. To your point, it all start, does start with Joel, but you can make the argument for every team too. Like if Giannis goes out, if Luka's not playing great, if Durant's not doing it, I think it's true for all those teams as well. Yeah, and I, I think Joel's turnovers have still been pretty high this yeah. year, but I do think in general – He's done a better job of just waiting out doubles and inviting pressure from the other team. There, mm -hmm. You don't see as many, and I could be wrong. I'd have to go and check what the numbers actually say. To me, I don't feel like there have been as many live ball, like dribbling turnovers where he's putting the ball on the floor as soon as he catches it and somebody's just coming with a quick double and batting mm -hmm. it away from him. There have been bad pass turnovers and you know he's making – clunky reads from time to time but i do think he's just been he'll wait a, he gets the ball early enough in the clock that he can just hold it and wait to see as everything develops around him and so some of that is you know they talk about pace of play and and that has been a key for him it's like all right instead of giving him the ball with eight seconds on the clock and he's got to really get to it and figure something out you get it to him with 16 18 on the clock he's got all the time in the world to post repost you know face yeah. up do whatever he's got to do and so i think that just inherently helps him and makes him a better playmaker because you're not putting him under such a time crunch and so that's that's a big part of it the you know the maturation from him and the improved passing from him that definitely helps and he's got to just embrace being that sort of guy because he knows he's not going to face single coverage in the playoffs like teams are going to load up on him yeah and force other people to beat him and so the more he embraces it now and gets comfortable with being that style of player in the middle of the floor, the, the more they're going to benefit from that in the playoffs. So speaking of Joel, um, last night, uh, I'm getting ready to watch the game, checking Twitter, as, as I always do, probably a, a, an unhealthy amount of checking Twitter. But uh, I look and I see this, this tweet from an account saying, Doc Rivers says there's no timeline known for Joel, and there's a bit of panic. But it seems like maybe that was taken out of context a little. Um, you were there last night. You're obviously informed on what's going on with Joel. We talked about it on the last pod. Um, we didn't think he was going to play against Chicago. He didn't. But now it looks like he might not play against, I believe Detroit is next, right? If I'm not yeah. mistaken. Um, what, any, anything update on that? Are you surprised he might not play against Detroit? Does he just want to watch the Eagles game on Sunday? Like, What, what do you think's uh, going on? I still think it's possible he plays against Detroit, but they're so bad that they also don't need him against right. Detroit. Like they, they're one of the worst. They're if they're not the worst team in the league, they're right there. It's a lot like um, the Eagles don't need Jalen against the Giants. Joel don't doesn't need uh, the Sixers don't need Joel against the Pistons. Time's just yeah. a flat circle with uh, Philly sports. Yeah, so I think that's some of it. Like if he's feeling sore at all, especially with the foot thing, don't chance it. Yeah. And I'll repeat what I said on the podcast the other day. Like, I just, I don't think this is a serious thing in the sense that he would be playing if like home court was on the line. If this is March mm -hmm. and they're in a real battle for, all right, a, a game or two here is going to make a huge difference. I think he'd be on the floor. Obviously, if it's the playoffs, I think he'd be on the floor. 
But right now in early January in games that, you know, every game matters, but these ones are not like, we got to have these. These are, right. they're not games that they are incapable of winning without him. I think they're just taking the cautious approach. I will say, and we haven't really discussed the MVP. At yeah, I really get into that uh, in a minute. I do think that we're approaching the territory of like, he really can't miss many more games and have a real shot at MVP at the end of the year. Cause like, you know, I, I hate the whole games played thing for, for all stars specifically. I don't care about games played as much, but when you're saying, you know, who was the best player in the league this year, or like, however you want to set up your MVP argument, yeah, it gets hard at a certain point to say, all right, if Joel played 10 to 15 less games than these guys who are all having like insane seasons, like the numbers across the league this year are truly ridiculous. Yeah. And so for Joel to be able to edge into that combo and, you know, win an award like that, he has to be so dominant when he's on the floor to make up for that gap. And I just, I think that a lot of media members end up using that as a, uh, a tiebreaker and so i you know if he cares about that award and he has in the past he has said you know he's not focused as much on that stuff this year i don't yeah. i don't believe yeah, okay, that's true. Yeah. I think he's, okay joel yeah i think he's prideful and you know wants to be recognized just like any any of these other guys i do think he's inching toward the territory of you know he might not have a chance because of the games played so the games played thing to me I think there's just enough logic to it that it becomes a big deal. At the end of the day, if you're playing 30 games, 35 games in a season, then yeah, that matters. You're missing over half the year. If you're playing 40 games, half the games, whatever. I just hate the whole thing where people are like, well, he missed 20 games or 15 games, so he shouldn't, you know, he should he shouldn't get the award. Because you can't say that and then ask guys to push through injury and risk their health and then also be on the side of well, you know, we want to make sure these guys are healthy. You don't want to, you know, player safety, player health, all those things. It's just foolish to think that Joel is playing this well. He's this important to the Sixers because I think he qualifies both boxes. He is unbelievably uh, important to the Sixers and he's also putting up insane stats. So it's not like he's only checking one of those boxes and also missing time. I just hate the idea that Joel might want to play against Detroit strictly because of MVP. Now, on one hand, I'm like, all right, Joel, then don't play because MVP doesn't matter anymore. But also, I I also hate the diminishing of the MVP award. You're seeing that with the Eagles and Jalen now, where people are like, well, it doesn't matter if Jalen wins MVP. Yeah, it does. He worked really of hard. Of course, to win it does. That. Yeah. yeah, he worked really hard to win that award. He he approved. He improved a ton this offseason. He's played at a high level. I just think sometimes because people think that the player is not going to win it, that it doesn't matter. And I think Joel should have won it last year. So this shouldn't even be an issue. Joel should have been MVP last year. I just hate that because some voters decide it's, you know, you're not as important or you're, you're not as tough or whatever if you don't play through injury. When asking another human to play through a foot injury is such an absurd thing to ask somebody to do just so they can justify how important they are. Yeah, well, but just for some perspective here, he has now missed like 26% of their games. Yeah. It's not like, and that's the problem. It's like, it, if it's a difference between, you know, one guy plays... I don't know, let's say 78 games, another one plays 70. I that's it's still a, a deal. Like eight games is, is no joke, but like if you play 70 plus games, I get it. He's already missed 10. 
And so you're already starting to get into like, all right, he can miss maybe one or two more, but if he misses more, then you're talking about a gap, like a significant gap between him and the guys that he's competing with. Are and these guys playing all the games? I haven't looked to see. Like, I, said, I mean, we could go through. I, I'm just look and see. I, I'm pretty sure most of them, I don't want to like, I have a clickety clack keyboard. So I don't Yeah, it's uh, all good. It'll be a nice little uh, addition. <laughs> uh, here, we'll go through. I'm going right. to look up Game Jason play. Tatum. I mean, 26% is more than I thought, but again, it's not like he's played 30% of the games. Okay. I mean, Tatum has played 37 games compared to 28 for Joel. Okay, now so we'll look nine, nine more games. All right. The guy that neither one of us want to see win, Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic <laughs> has played 36 games. Okay. Uh, Giannis, if he wins it again, I'm going to scream. It, it'll be insane. Uh, yeah. Giannis has played... 33 so he's you know he's closer to joel than uh, right. the top of the but all of them have played more and so what more. i'm saying yeah. is what i'm saying is not that he's already disqualified it's that because he has already missed a certain you know portion of the games the problem he is facing now is he doesn't really have any room for missing time like if he gets actually hurt and has to miss time, then he's definitely out. Yeah, yeah I agree. If yeah. he gets COVID and he misses a week and a, or a week and a half or whatever it is, he gets sick and misses time, that's probably going to rule him out. Like we're talking about, and to your point, I, which I agree with, you're talking about like, of course, MVP matters. Of course, all-star matters. Like right. if this stuff didn't matter, over 3 million people are not voting it's, for it's so guys silly. in the all-star game. Yeah. Like people care about this stuff. And, you know, I don't like that their contracts are tied to, you know, year-end awards, like guys qualify for all NBA and whatever. Like, I don't like that the media has, you know, some sort of say. In I agree with that. How much money these guys can make. But like most people I know, and like, I don't know anyone who has a vote that mm -hmm. um, that doesn't take it seriously. Most people I know are like, this is a thing they agonize over. Like they know that this stuff is important for these guys. Now, yeah. some people obviously have horrible votes and like I would mock their right. opinions, I mean, whatever. MVP last but year. of course this stuff matters. Like these guys' legacies, like in 20 years, 25 years, when Joel Embiid's career, or Kevin Durant's career, whatever, these guys' careers are just like a Wikipedia page yeah. and YouTube highlights and stuff. People will go through who are like learning to love the game. Like I did, you know, back in the day with guys who were like the greats of the past. Right. And they see, oh, this guy made this many all-star teams, this many all defense. It's like the, it's part of the like rings culture where, you know, people want to see how many titles you won. Like that's how you're defined. It's why a mm -hmm. lot of people still think Michael Jordan is the goat. Like he had <laughs> six rings, he won all yeah. these MVPs and like we can, there's the case for LeBron and all that, or the case for Kareem who somehow gets, you know, under all this stuff ultimately comes down to what are your accolades? What can I go into an argument with and say, these are your definable features that you have as an NBA player. You averaged yeah. this many points, this many rebounds. You were the best player in the league this many years. You want a title this many years. Like, of course this stuff matters. Like it's not important in the sense that like, Sports are not important compared to like, you know, things that have real consequences for people's right. lives. Right. But if this is something that we care about and are passionate about, I'm never going to sit here and tell you like, this is stupid. Why are we arguing about uh, Jason Tatum and Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic and who deserves MVPs? Like, 
Of course, this right. shit matters. A hundred percent. And to your point about how how we'll look back in 25 years on these guys, that's the frustrating part to me. And again, I'm not even the hugest Embiid guy, but like the idea that 25 years from now, he might not be an MVP consideration or the all-star thing, which we'll get into, because he just played nine less games in Tatum. When he's played, he's been arguably the best player in the Eastern Conference when he has played. And it's not been five games. It's not been seven games. He's still played, what is it, 29 games, you said, or something like that, or, or right? So uh, 28. 28. 28 out of 38. 28 out of 38. So he still has played the, the vast majority of the games. I know that in, you know, with grades, if I got uh, only 26% of the answers wrong, I still felt pretty good about that grade, right? Like at the end of the day, he's still playing the, the vast majority of games and he's playing at an all-star level. I just hate the whole putting, if you want to say games count is a, like an 11th tiebreaker, fine. But I think for those first 10, Joel stacks up really well against these guys. And, you know, you brought up the media. Uh, and so I wanted to bring this up. I saw this on Twitter this morning and a uh, hat tip to Spike Eskin, who, who I saw tweet out the video of Brian Windhorst said the reason he thinks Joel isn't getting either the MVP or the all-star consideration to actually start over guys like Giannis, KD and Tatum is that media members. And he said this emphatically, media members do not like Joel. And so I'm curious as someone that covers the NBA, that's at all these games, that, that's around a lot of reporters, a lot, around a lot of people in the league. How do you think Joel is viewed among media members? And do you agree that maybe they don't like him and so he's not getting the accolades he should? I think it's kind of hard to I think the like, let's call them fan-based media. So right. like bloggers and, you know, yeah. normal podcasters, stuff like that. I think it's tr definitely true for them because I don't think people like- League-wide you're talking about, right? Yeah, like, I, don't, I don't think people like um, their, when their team plays Joel because- He's hard to guard. He does a lot of foul baiting and all that stuff. He does mm -hmm. complain to the refs, or we should say advocate to the refs, <laughs> the, uh, the PR speak version of that. Yes. And so the, he certainly has like, you know, he's turned those type of people off. I'm, I'm more skeptical of the, um, the media not liking him in terms of like, you know, people on TV, newspaper writers, whatever, like however you want to frame that, like, I don't want to say actual media because I've been part of like the blogosphere and all that. Yeah, so I don't want to dismiss. Yeah. But more like I would say quote unquote more serious media, like people who right. went to journalism school and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Like I I don't know that I have run into a lot of uh Joel Embiid haters in that, but I do think they probably think more about things like we're talking about, like the games played. And the reason I brought it up is not because I think that's like the end all be all of arguments. I just think when like all these guys are averaging, you know, 30 plus points a game or like in Jokic's right. case, he's averaging like a 26 point triple double. Right. No, you're, you're right that the games played will matter. I, we yeah. both agree it shouldn't, but you're absolutely correct that unfairly it will matter. But to that point, I do think there is a little bit too much of the focus on that with Joel. Like yeah. there have been times where, you know, he, him missing time, he didn't, he hasn't had COVID, at least to my knowledge this year, but there were like one of the reasons he got dinged for games played in the past was like, oh, the guy got COVID and missed yeah, time. It's like, well, yeah. like, what a ridiculous sentiment that that is like a thing. Like, it's one thing if the guy broke his foot and he misses like half the year or misses two months or whatever it is, like, okay, I think that's probably a reasonable thing. But to say that a guy can't get sick when, you know, basically the whole world shut down for, Right. you know, a year or whatever. 
I think that is probably a little bit more of a, a disingenuous argument to say to disqualify him for an MVP. Well, award. The other thing is with injuries, and this is is a tangent that we're going on, but you know, it's in, in the NFL, if or in the NBA too, you just don't see him as much. But in the NFL, if a player gets a concussion and he has multiple concussions, nobody labels him injury prone. Rightfully so, because concussions are not their fault. But on the flip side of that, Joel breaking his foot is not his fault, right? These guys are playing a sport where they are putting their body on the line and no injury is less or more injury prone their fault than any other. So to your thing, dinging him for COVID is dumb, right? And I think that there's, there is logic in being mad at Joel and frustrated that in the playoffs, when you really need them, there's been concerns with that. It's, it's, I think it's fine as a fan to say, man, it really sucks that when they've needed him, there's been times where he's been injury prone. I just hate the whole blaming him for being injured as, as some slight on him. And so when you talk about the media members in general, maybe that being why, that could be part of it. I do think too, though, I think inside Philly, there's a frustration with him because of the playoff failures. And because, as I've said before on the pod, sometimes the, the tweets annoy me, especially given the playoff failures. They they're, they don't hit the same way they did when he, when he first started his career. But outside of Philly, I think Joel's a likable personality. I think he does exciting things. I think he's good for the league. He's a poster child. So I, I wonder, I was thinking, is this an agent thing? Because you mentioned last time he didn't have an agent, and now he did. I don't know if he had one coming out of the draft. But I do find sometimes media members ding players or don't like them as much if they don't have an agent that's constantly in their ear talking them up or or giving them things or having that relationship. So I think might of it also might be Joel's just a quiet guy that hangs in at his house and doesn't seem to play the the whole game of it, right? He does. I, he doesn't strike me as a guy that plays the game as much as other players. But you you would know more. I would go the opposite in the sense that I think if anything he might have suffered because people saw him as advocating too hard for the award in okay. years past. And not that like, I think again, to go back to what we were saying before, I think that's stupid. Like if we're going to vote on these awards and we're going to talk about these awards and we're going to use them as reference points now and in the future for how good guys are. Yeah. Of course you want these guys to care about them. Like, yeah. Why wouldn't you like, Nikola Jokic should not get extra credit because he treats winning MVP as like a, a side story. Like yeah, he's that's great. Right. That's yeah. great. Like good for him. Like you can sell that as like, Oh, the humble white guy from Europe is like, yeah. Oh, he doesn't, he only cares about team success yeah. and blah, blah, blah. But like, this is like winning MVP is as far as individual achievements go for the regular season, there's nothing better than that. And so one of the best players in the league saying, I want that and I care about that. That's a good thing for the league. You want guys yeah. to to reflect in their play and their mentality that they're chasing things like this because that gives weight to these awards. Otherwise, it's just like, well, who cares? This is like somebody has to win it every year. So I do think he's suffered for that because if I have seen things at times from not in, within Philadelphia, but from other places where they'll use that to compare him to Jokic specifically, but definitely other guys like Giannis is like, and Giannis, there's some of the same, like, oh, he's the humble guy from Greece. Right. And he exactly. did it the right way. And blah, and blah, blah. Tweet that clip of him like every four days about, you know, his post press conference stuff. Like, I just feel like there's a lot of Giannis love going on compared to Joel. Those guys, I'm not sitting here saying that Giannis and, oh, now the police are coming. We got Man, my dog. We got the police. Saying, they'll probably come in my way soon. So <laughs> So I'm not taking anything away from either Jokic or Giannis. 
Giannis or anybody else who would, you know, defer on the MVP topic. What I'm saying is I don't like that Joel saying he wants it or thinking he deserves it after putting in all this work and, you know, having a body of work and a resume that, you know, speaks for itself at this point. Yeah. Of course he should sit there. And if he thinks he deserves it, say it like there's nothing wrong with advocating for yourself and thinking that what you've done is special. Like, he ha- he watches as much basketball as anybody in the league. Like every night I have to sit and wait oh, for yeah, an yeah. hour after games <laughs> because yeah. this dude's sitting at his locker on NBA league pass with his feet in ice watching <laughs> whatever game is on. Like he loves basketball. He knows how he stacks up to the rest of the league. If he wants to come out and say, I want this and I deserve that MVP award. I think he should feel empowered to do so. And any media member that is using that as any sort of slight against them is an idiot. They shouldn't be allowed to vote. But um, I will say making people wait the hour for the press conference so you can watch the game, (laughs) not going to help help your chances there. So another part of this discussion, and it's kind of why we initially wanted to bring it up, was the first round of all-star voting has been released. Um, Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The front court in the Eastern Conference, and we touched on this in the last pod, but now the votes are, are out. Kevin Durant, number one. Uh, Giannis is number two. Joel, number three. Tatum, four. He's about, I don't know, looks like maybe 50,000 votes ahead or so of uh, yeah. ahead of Tatum. And then uh, a fairly large gap between Durant and Giannis. They're definitely going to be one, too. I mean, he's like 700,000 votes, if I'm doing the math right, behind Giannis and and almost a million behind Durant. So it's going to be Durant and Giannis. So it's going to come down to Joel and Tatum for that fourth spot. Um, For the guards, Kyrie is one by a wide margin, which is pretty wild when you consider the year he's had uh, off the court. And then Donovan Mitchell, number two at 1.6. Harden, number three, actually right there. He's not far off from, from, from being a starter. But what are your thoughts on the Joel thing there? Do you think he'll hold on? Because um, if, if he finishes top three in fan, oh, I guess the media then can jump in. and, and The media up, right? and players could swing that is yeah. what that comes down Which to. Which is insane. I Look, it's an all-star game. And you're right that it's important for their contract. So in that way. But I just think something like this should be so simple. If the fans vote you in, you should start. It is a fan game. And I, and again, to the contract part, yes, I think that that matters. But I also think if your contract, if if you're voted in as an all-star, regardless of how you're playing, that's a valuable commodity to a team. I think that makes you more valuable to that franchise. So if Joel is voted in a top three by the fans, he should start, in my opinion. So I want to, this is a bit, bit of trivia. I was actually looking some stuff up oh, last God, related to last year's All-Star game. The top three in player voting for Eastern Conference front court last year is the same guys as it is right now. Kevin Durant, Giannis, and Joel Embiid. Right. Who do you think was number four? I mean, I'm guessing not Tatum based off this. No, Tatum, I believe, was number five. Um, I'm going to cheat a little bit and look at the... Was it? You're never going to guess it based on looking at anything. All right, then yeah. Okay, what is it? Miles Bridges was number four (laughs) in player voting. 
Oh, in so, player voting, okay. In player voting. Well, not yeah, right. not in fan voting. Okay. And yeah. you know, Miles Bridges not in the league right now for you know domestic violence reasons. Right. You know, that we don't have to get down that whole path. But like had a good year last year, but it does kind of show you the absurdity that player voting can be. Yeah. I actually was surprised looking back the last couple of years that Joel was so far out in front of Tatum in player voting. Cause I've always kind of thought Tatum would be one of those guys that players appreciate more than, you know, maybe everyone else does. He's like, mm-hmm. as we've said, he's like a, a bucket guy, someone yeah. who can give the ball to at any point, but Joel has been pretty handily out in front of him both of the last two years. I am curious to see how that splits this year because Boston has been better, but and we've we've discussed this a little bit already. My stance on this is I think Joel should be the number two behind uh, Durant in Eastern Conference front. Court. I agree like, with that. Set yeah. aside the fan vote. I think he's been straight up better than Tatum. You know, despite the difference in in team record. Yeah, his numbers are better for sure. And Giannis has tailed off. Like Giannis has not been as good. He scored nine points in a, a blowout loss to Charlotte last yep. night. And, and they gave up team, like 50 points in the first or something absurd yeah, like that. And that team has just not been very good lately. And I think, you know, it's one of the great examples of if you start out well and you build a reputation, you're able to survive some really bad stretches in the middle of the year. A lot of times the most prominent example is always in rookie of the year. Normally the rookie yeah. of the year award is decided like 15 games into the year. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the guys do the rest of the year. It's like, all right, this guy looked the best coming out of uh training camp and preseason. He's right. the rookie of the year. I don't have to think about it anymore. So I think Giannis is getting probably too much credit for the start of the year and maybe not enough scrutiny for, you know, his team kind of falling apart here lately. It's not his fault that Chris Middleton hasn't been healthy. But I would give Joel the nod over him. I don't think that's going to matter because I think he's going to be the number two regardless, most Mm -hmm. likely. Um, But I would definitely, like, I think at this point, I'm firmly on the side of Joel has to start this game. I I think it would be pretty awful if if Tatum ended up getting the nod over him. What I do think they should do, because the the Western Conference front court right now, fan vote, is LeBron, Jokic, 1-2, which is fine. And then Anthony Davis three, just boot Anthony Davis out of there and put whoever, whether it's Joel or Tatum, just slide them to the Western Conference and they (laughs) start because all four of Durant, Giannis, Joel, and Tatum deserve to start in that game. Yeah, blank period. Now I would say just bump one of the guards, but I think Donovan Mitchell really deserves to start. Kyrie's been pretty unbelievable. There's something i don't know after every i don't don't want to reward kyrie irving yeah people obviously want to watch him so right um so i don't know i mean i would i would bring tatum off the bench i still think that joel coming off the bench in the all-star game is an embarrassment for the league like he's one of the best players he's one of the biggest faces for what it's worth he's obviously has international appeal like i think he checks every single box of someone that should start start in the all-star game so i would probably start him I would definitely start Durant because he's been awesome and he's Durant. To your point, I would bump. I think I would still start Giannis just because of who he is. But you're right. I think if you're going off just this year and just play, then I think that Giannis would be the four. 
I'll also say this, that Zion should start over Anthony Davis, just as a, an excitement. Well, he's standpoint. hurt, unfortunately. And I know, I, yeah. I, now I'm doubtful. I, I feel like he won't play. And that's a shame because he is like the peak all-star game player. I'd love to see. I agree. Yeah, he'd be perfect. All right. Here's my question. If you could start five players in the East, who would they be? So I think that the first three front court guys have to play, right? Like I think Durant, Giannis, Joel, as much as I'm dinging Giannis in comparison to Joel and for this recent stretch, like I do think he's one of the best players in the world. Like, yeah, he should be in the outside of that. I think Mitchell has to be one of the starting guards. I agree. And I'm I'm looking at I think the rest he's of really them. earned it too. Like he's been unbelievable. I mean, he scored 70 points in a game. Like he he should start in the all-star game. And frankly, he should get it just for being willing to go to Cleveland. Like I think that alone they should like give him that benefit <laughs> of a young electric guard was willing now. Who knows how willing it was, but what is in Cleveland and playing well? I yeah, I'd, I'd put him in there. And honestly, like if we're just talking about basketball, like I can't stand Kyrie Irving and his whole right personality Obviously. in general, yeah. let alone the anti-Semitism and all the other right. BS from this year. But like right now on merit, he deserves to start. Like he's been crazy during this streak uh, yeah. for Brooklyn or this stretch for Brooklyn, I should say. Um, he's also a great I am curious. Game. He's a great all-star I, game player too. Yeah. Like he's I, all-star game. I wonder if Harden is going to make the game in general. Like, so once, once we get past the starters, it goes to the the coaches selections. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he's going to get the nod from the coaches. Cause I think the coaches are probably more inclined to reward people like a Tyrese Halliburton, yeah. a young ascending guy who Garland doesn't have the baggage Garland Pascal Siakam will definitely be on the team. Um, now for what it's Tatum worth, will obviously Harden, be on the team. Harden has over um right around a million more votes than Garland. Yeah. So I get your but like Harden should be an all-star too. If we're gonna do the thing with you know Durant earns it off name, Giannis, all those things, Harden also has that name, you know. I think he'll make the team. I think it'll probably be a little dicier than him. you know, maybe you'd expect, just because I don't know if the coaches have the same reverence for him as uh yeah. most other people. Um, but yeah, I, I think end of the day, he'll probably make it. I, clearly, I don't think he's got a real chance to, um, to start. Cause I think those top two guys are going to be pretty hard to. Yeah. To although about. again, he's only like 20,000 votes from reading this right behind Mitchell. So I, I don't think he will. No, start he's like 500,000 votes behind Mitchell. You're, I think you might've had a moment of, uh, Oh yeah, you're right. I'm looking at the. I'm missing the another the 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 one. Listen, I have temporary dyslexia sometimes yeah. when I'm looking through a lot of numbers at once. So well, I, what uh, I'm looking at the sixes are right under each other, and I missed that extra one. So yeah, he's not going to catch Mitchell. My bad on that. Yeah. Which is fair. Mitchell should I think should start ahead of him this year. The last quick question I had before we wrap this up was, um, we we just talked about the all the all star process. I'm curious. I don't know how it works, and some people out there might not. So obviously, it's player vote, fan vote, and uh, then I guess. Media, media, right? media. media. Yeah. How, is that broken, how is that broken down it's really easy it's just 50 percent for fans 25 percent players 25 percent media so the fan yeah. vote is the most important one it counts for the most okay. so joel right now is in good shape he's very popular i think he'll be after looking at how the player vote has split in the past i think he'll be fine for the player vote as well really i think the only wrench in things will be 
you know, he is close enough to Tatum that Tatum could surpass him in the fan vote. And then right. as we were talking about the media vote, like how do people weigh the um, the games played or, you know, honestly, like the difference in record, like the Celtics are almost certainly going to have a better record than um, than the Sixers by the time voting is actually finalized. And I think there'll be some people who just say we want to reward the guy on the better team. And that's it. The most annoying part to me with the media vote, and this will be be my tangent real quick. Like, I just hate the idea that media is completely impartial. Like, I don't think you see that as much as people do. Because I think you, your media is in there so they can be the impartial vote and everything. And the players are, they're biased and, you know, fans, whatever. I know that the media is less biased than fans straight up and less biased in some ways than players. But I think the flaw in the system is media is also impacted by a lot of things like relationships with agents, how a player treats them in the locker room and those type of things. And now you're right that there's a lot of voters that take it seriously. And I'm not saying every vote, but that would be my frustrating part if I was a player is that media members that are just as biased in a lot of ways have a huge, uh, not a huge impact at 25%, but a decent sized impact of the, uh, of the vote. Or just like they're prone to liking or not liking the aesthetics like anybody yeah. else. Like, they don't, not every media watches every game, you know, like a lot of it to your point is, you know, we talk about how MVP stuff matters when you're looking at a Wikipedia page. It also matters if you're a media member and you're quickly Googling somebody or just looking up what their stats are super quick and you're not actually watching it. Yeah. Like I, I think anyone who pretends to be, an expert on like every player and every team in the league is just lying. Like right. most media members are relying on either peers that they trust. Like <laughs> there's a running joke in the league that like Zach Lowe has like an unbelievable amount of sway on <laughs> year end voting because so many people listen to his podcast and read him it's that true. like the it's people probably- who are the people who are on the fence will like align with him. And that's like a whole like, Oh, right. well, he said he's voting for this guy. That means I have to, or right. like it. So there are some quirks like that. And I wish people would admit that. Like, yeah. I'm okay with saying like, at times I'm not as caught up on you know the Western conference because, or honestly, a lot of times it's more of the Eastern conference because I won't be watching these games while the Sixers are on. So I, I don't right, see so them get to watch the West more. Yeah. So I get to watch a lot of the West games and see like, that's why I had a good read. I think of, Anthony Melton before he came here because there are a lot of nights where you know Memphis is playing at 9 30 10 o'clock whatever yeah. it is and I'd come home or I'd it'd be a road game I'm sitting in my office and I'll just put another game on and there are the Memphis Grizzlies and I have an understanding of like what yeah. they do who's who's good who's you know in the flow of things whatever so I think that's the case for a lot more people than would admit it I just wish that there is a level of of objectivity but it's not like i don't sit in this like yeah glass case and i'm just like totally shielded emotionless right yeah like and i don't think that'd be a good way to vote for these awards anyway like yes narrative matters in a certain way yes yes a team's record matters yes like what this guy did and what he meant to his team matters relative to like, it's not just about raw box score numbers or games played mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Like to me, there is an art to it. And so for there to be an art to it, that means you have to have a level of subjectivity and that's fine. Just like, we don't have to act like we're above the right. rest of this stuff. Like we can be journalists and also say like, 
this guy just has a compelling story. Like that's yeah. an okay, to, okay thing to and, admit, I think. And the worst thing is Joel has that story. Joel came back from the injuries. He's, you know, like tons of things. He has that compelling argument. So we agree. Joel should start the all-star game. You know, I don't know when the final voting comes out because all-star games, what is it in February? Uh, it's right around the deadline. Cause the trade deadlines, the ninth this year, I believe, I think it's after of March that. though, or when is it? I'm trying to, remember. uh, February. Oh, wow. So it's only a month away. So maybe we'll have an emergency yes. pod soon. Who knows? Uh, I should just look at, actually, I wonder if our producer, there we go. Our producer, James, February 19th is Boom. the all-star game. There you go. It's the producer we need right there. Um, Listen, James is a hero. He is. All right. So this has been another edition of the clap your hands pod. I do not know when we will be talking next. Um, we have to look at the Sixer schedule and figure things out, but it'll probably be relatively soon in the next few days. Um, and, you know, we'll see if they can keep this up, if Melton can keep it up, if Maxi can keep it up. Uh, hopefully Joel's back. Um, hopefully by the time we talk next, I'm not traveling to Tampa for an Eagles playoff game and they win the game All on right. Sunday. So uh, should be exciting next few days in Philly sports. And uh, Kyle, I'll talk to you soon, man. Talk to you guys soon.